and give you all a warm welcome to our service today. We'll begin by singing Psalm 132 and sing psalms. And we'll sing the whole psalm and we'll stand to sing. Lord our God, remember David and the hardships which he bore to the mighty one of Jacob, to the Lord this oath he swore. We'll sing the whole psalm. Lord our God, remember David and the hardships which he bore to the mighty one of Jacob, to the Lord his Sit forever. 
Thank you, Lord, that uh, despite our inability to fully grasp who you are, you delight to interact with us. Not only do you delight to interact with us, but you like to have agreements with us. Uh, you're the God who, as we've been singing, initiated a covenant between yourself and David, a covenant that had ramifications for himself, but also for his descendants. And one that was to bring about great blessing eventually uh, when his most important descendant came, the one that you were going to raise up. And that one we know is Jesus. When he came, he wanted to make agreements uh, with people. And we thank you, Lord, for that. That he interacted and asked people to trust in him, uh, obey him, follow him, be his disciples, and be his people. And in the gospel, he offers this possibility to everyone 
And therefore, Lord, in a certain sense, we come here in response to that. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we meet in your presence to remember that we are speaking to a God who wants a relationship and not merely an interaction. So, Lord, we ask that you would um, remind us of what you can provide, that you are the God of salvation, God who provides individual salvation, but doesn't leave it there as an individual relationship, but that we are bound together in the community that you are forming, the community that you wish to dwell in, and are with whom you're going to dwell uh, forever and ever. It's hard for us to get our heads around that. We have no idea what the word forever really means. But we thank you, Lord, that you assure us that if we do respond right to the gospel, then we will be in your presence uh, forever. And we know your presence is not a physical one, we can't, we can't point to a spot and say there is God. The, your presence is internal as far as our hearts and minds are concerned. It is also external because you're everywhere. And therefore, Lord, we give you thanks that your presence can be very real and we pray that as we meet here in your presence that we would have the appropriate response. And it is important for us to be reverent, but it's also important for us to be recipients because in a real sense, the degree of our reverence is seen in the amount we take from you. And therefore, Lord, we pray that as we come to receive from you, that you would remind us of your willingness to pardon us and to bless us with peace and to give us assurance and to remember us in all our need. Help us, Lord, to have a faith that's receptive, that takes from God and holds on to what we're given. Help us, Lord, to have the joy of the Lord in our souls, the peace of God that passes all understanding, that the love of God would be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, today to have a real, living, vibrant encounter with the living God. So bless us and remember us. Lord, we pray for those who are not able to be with us, that you would remember them all where they are. Those in hospital and those at home, we ask you to bless any treatments they are getting, and we pray that you would enable them to make progress. Remember others 
who may be away. And we just ask, Lord, that you would be with them, wherever they are. And we just ask that you would provide them with your blessing. We pray, Lord, for your church as we come to the Lord's Day, the weekly celebration of your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, all over the world. People today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. That the fact that he is alive has is giving them real hope for the future as some of them live in very difficult circumstances. And there's not much in their circumstances to encourage them, but as they look up to heaven and they see the risen Savior at your right hand, then that gives them real confidence. And we pray, Lord, that that would be their experience today in, in an increased way. Those who are suffering for the faith, we pray, Lord, that you would remember them, each one. And those that live in difficult circumstances of poverty and deprivation, we ask too, Lord, that you would uh, remember them as well and give them and stimulate their living hope so that it rises above their circumstances. And we, in the Western world, where we don't have these kind of issues to the degree that others have them. We pray for the church in the Western world that they would grasp again the wonder of having a man at your right hand, the savior, the forerunner, the one who has gone there to prepare a place for his people. And we thank you, Lord, that because he's there, he's an anchor for the soul as we face the storms of life. And we just pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to get our encouragement from Christ and that us and your people, wherever they are, that today we would have a real sense of union with the people of God and that we would be sharing because of the work of the Holy Spirit that we would be sharing in the certainty that's connected to his resurrection and ascension and his coming return. Lord, we pray you remember the need of spiritual needs of people we need uh, the Holy Spirit to come to our society in a very powerful manner. We do give you thanks, Lord, for the people here and there who are turning to the Savior. We thank you for these signs of your work and your activity, but we also know that if the kingdom is to make progress, then we need to see divine power. And we ask you, Lord, that in your mercy, that even this day itself would be one when the Holy Spirit would come in copious amounts, flooding the thirsty land. 
Lord, we live in a society that doesn't even know it is thirsty because it has no idea what the living water is like. But we ask you, Lord, that you would pour out the Holy Spirit and that he would come and drench the dry, arid society as far as spiritual things are concerned. Lord, have mercy on us, we ask. Bless the children who are with us. We pray that you would enable them to grasp something of who you are and that they too would find Jesus to be real to them. So Lord, we pray you be with us. Remember others that we should pray about who need you in whatever way. And we ask you, Lord, to bless them all for your own name's sake. Amen. Now we can read from Nehemiah chapter 10. First few verses are all names, but I suppose we are meant to honor them as we hear their names being mentioned. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Assyriah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malchiah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Maluch, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Maruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, Messiah, Bilgai, Shemaiah. These are the priests. And the Levites, Yeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benuai of the sons of Henadad, Kadmiel, and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Heliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashbiah, Sachur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, Benuni. The chiefs of the people, Parosh, Pahath, Moab, Elam, Satu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Bebai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Atar, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashum, Bezai, Harif, Ananoth, Nebai, Mag, Piash, Meshulam, Hezur, Meshezebel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshia, Ananiah, Hasab, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Maseah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Maluch, Harim, Bana. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the law of the lands, the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, the nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord, 
and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We shall not take on ourselves the obligation to give Sorry, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites, when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers, and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. And may God bless that reading. I'll speak to the children now if they want to come down. pocket. I wonder if you know what that is. Yes, what is it? No. Well, I suppose you could, yes, but um, what do you think? A verse. A, a verse. Well, that's inside it, yes, that's right. I think it's called a paperweight. 
and in olden times, about 20 years ago, people used to use them to put on top of pieces of paper so that they wouldn't get lost, or at least that was part of the theory anyway. What do you think? Is there anything unusual about this um, thing here? It looks like a thing, it does, yes, there's a flame, looks like eggs, yes. There's actually some words inside it. I think somebody can read them. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. That's right. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. It's inside this glass object. And I just thought that is like what we are meant to be like. It's very clear. Anyone that wants to can read what's written on the inside. And they know that this says the fruit of the Spirit is faith. And I just thought this is like what a Christian is like. What's on the inside should be visible to everyone. This says... The fruit of the Spirit is faith, and all Christians have faith on the inside. And everyone should be able to see it. Do you think that's right? Yes, that's right. And do you think you can have faith? Yeah, of course you can. The Bible tells us that whether we're children or whether we're grown-ups, we can all have faith in Jesus. Do you know what faith in Jesus, can you say it in any other words, faith in Jesus? How else? If someone asked you, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus, what would you say to them? I'll tell you. It means to trust in him, to love him, to do what he says, and all things like that. And I'm sure you do that. You ask Jesus for help. You say to him, whenever you need it, Lord, Jesus, help me. And Jesus loves to have children say that to him. You know that, don't you? And you can speak to Jesus at any time, and he will listen to you. But I think it's very important to remember that what's on the inside should be seen by everyone. That we're to be clean, clear, like this glass, and everyone can read it. So like the fruit of the Spirit is faith. So we all remember that? That's good. And we're now going to say the Lord's Prayer, and we'll stand to say it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. Amen. We'll now sing from Psalm 25.
and sing Psalms, verses 4 to 11. O Lord, reveal to me your ways and all your paths. Help me to know, direct and guide me in your truth. Instruct me in the way to go. We'll stand and sing verses 4 to 11. Chapter 10, and we can just think about 
what's described here in the chapter, uh, making a covenant with God. In uh, 1638, a very important event took place in Edinburgh, an event that um, was to have uh, repercussions for a long time and maybe still has some repercussions today. But what happened there in 1638 has been called the National Covenant. And on that occasion in 1638, um, the people of Scotland, in one way or another, made a covenant with God. And uh, apparently, if I remember correctly, uh, the first person to sign it was the, the then current Duke of Sutherland. And then it was followed by various other people in the country, both religious and political and otherwise. Don't know what you make of that. But anyway, that was done in 1638. It used to be quite common for individuals to write out a covenant with God, um, to literally write it out, and to sign it at the end. And they had written out their personal covenant, and these covenants would say something like, I take God the Father to be my God and Father. And I take Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And I take the Holy Spirit to be my guide and comforter. And I take, and I take, and I take, and I take. And then they signed it. And if they were going to do it today, it would be February the 5th. 2023, and then perhaps on March the 5th, they might go and look at it and see how they are living up to it. And if they weren't living up to it, they would write out another one and sign it. And one of the um, books that used to be handed out to people when they were seeking for salvation, Christians' great interest. It kind of recommends doing that. Just taking time to write out what you're saying to God. God offers certain things it's kind of making a an arrangement a deal with God don't know what you think of that either be quite interesting wouldn't it to say sit down at three o'clock this afternoon and write out a covenant with God 
Of course, the covenant, if it's ever done, if we ever do that, it's responding to what he's offered. And I suppose he would take it seriously. He would have, God doesn't assume anything, but quite often he does take us at our word. And here in Nehemiah chapter 10, we have people who made a covenant. And as I mentioned earlier just now, the covenant requires two things. It requires people, and it requires terms. What are they agreeing to? On this particular occasion, I suppose chapter divisions are not always helpful because chapter 10 and chapter 9 go together. And then chapter 9, as we saw previously, they are confessing their sins. Uh, They have found out what was wrong, not just with themselves, but as they look back on their national history and they discovered there had been a repetitive cycle of departure from God. And they themselves had found themselves in a rather bizarre situation. And we may say, what was bizarre about their situation? Well, the thing that was really bizarre about their situation was that they were in the land of freedom. That's what Canaan was, wasn't it? The land of freedom, where their ancestors were taken after their bondage in Egypt. And here they were, living in the land of freedom. But in verse 36 of chapter chapter 9, they have to sadly confess, and it's terrible words when we think about it. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. They realized where they were. And of course, it's impossible to get anywhere if we don't realize where we are. That's true in every aspect of life, isn't it? If we don't know where we are, we can't get anywhere. So there in chapter 9, They are repenting. But of course, repentance is two-sided. There's always repentance from, and there's repentance to. And it may be the case that repentance from something is the easy part. After all, 
If we start looking for defects, we'll find them. And it, it might be reasonably straightforward that once we have found them, we confess them to God. But that's just repenting from something. Repentance has got another side to it. And it's repentance to something. What's going to be the positive side of repentance? Because the word repentance in itself just means change of mind or change of direction. So the evidence of repentance is not actually talking about the past. The evidence of repentance is where we go in the future. Being sorry about the past, well, that's just being sorry about the past. There has to be something ahead that indicates we have repented. And so what we have in chapter 10 is the positive sides of repentance as the people respond. Now this list of names might not seem very interesting to begin with, and they may not seem very interesting after we read them several times. But this intriguing collection of people, there's two politicians, doesn't come out in English, but um, there in verse 1 of chapter 10, there's two politicians, because in the original language, they're joined together by a conjunction which indicates that Zedekiah, that in some way he was involved with Nehemiah in running the community. So there's the political leaders that are there, two politicians, and then 22 priests are mentioned, followed by 17 Levites, and then 44 clan leaders. And these individuals, I suppose, they're just representatives of the people. It wouldn't be possible for everybody in the community to um, sign it. It would be a very long document if that was the case. But here were some representatives. And what's at least to me anyway, what's striking about the representatives is the picture of harmony and the picture of unity that's here. There's the high and the low. There's the religious and the civil. There's the young and the old. As we're told there in verse 28, at the end of the verse, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, all who are able to think, basically, they sign or are represented here. 
And I suppose as we look at their circumstances, the, they summarize it there uh, in verse 28, what their intention is. Their intention there in verse 28, sorry, verse 29, is that they enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and its rules and its statutes. I mean, that's certainly ambitious, isn't it? They, their intention is to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. We saw in a previous um, chapter that they had during their um, kind of conference they had. That's what it was like. And as they searched the scriptures, they discovered that they weren't keeping the Feast of Tabernacles according to God's word. And they also discovered something else. They discovered that nobody else had done it either. All the way back until the days of Joshua. So right that back from the, almost from the start of their national history, all down the, the reigns of David and Solomon and all the highs and lows, they discovered that throughout all this long period, the Feast of Tabernacles had never been observed the way it should have been observed. And that must have given them a real spiritual jolt And they resolved, quite rightly, they resolved to do it the way it should have been done. And they did. They didn't say to themselves, well, our fathers didn't do it all so precisely. They just said, well, if they were wrong, we just ignore what they were doing and do what God says. So here they are. They're determined to keep God's law in every detail. Which I suppose is one reason why God gives details. As we look at them, I suppose there's three options they had, isn't there? Maybe there's more than three, but I could only think of three. One option would be, well, we're now back in the land after the exile. We'll just live like all the nations around us. That's one option. A second option, of course, would be to have a bit of both. We'll take some things from the nations around us, and we'll take some things from God's word. Well, the third option is God's word. I suspect that those three options are still around. Live like the world. A bit of both. 
or do what God's word says. And as we look at these people, all these names listed there and the ones they're representing, we can see that they're very serious because they says there in verse 29, it's, it's kind of, I don't know what word to, to describe it. They enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. I mean, this is voluntary. And they, they volunteer to enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. In their covenant, their, their mind, I suspect, is going back to what happened there and way back at the start of Israel's history. Because they're kind of starting anew, aren't they? So they're going back to the start of Israel's history and they recall what happened at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, where there they made a covenant with God. And if we read Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, we'll see what they said in their covenant arrangement. Basically they said, if we don't keep it, God will judge us. But if we do keep it, God will bless us. And that's what they're doing here, isn't it? If we don't keep this covenant they're making, they could expect God's anger to come. And if they do keep God's covenant, this oath they're making, walking in God's law and so on, don't know his blessing. So therefore they're, they're very serious about it, aren't they? They're basically saying, we don't want to go back to the way we were. And if we do go back to it, God will be just in punishing us. So they want to obey but in order to stimulate themselves to obey, they make this rather stark announcement. This is what they've signed, put their name to it, their agreement. And I suppose by extension, since God has put into his word, he approved of it. So it's a solemn day, quite a solemn day, making this covenant with God. So that's the people's response. But then, what are the terms of the covenant? These are the things that they highlight. And I suppose we can divide their uh, terms into a general statement and some specifics. 
there is um, one general statement, and then there's four specifics. One general statement is mentioned there in verse 29, and we've kind of mentioned it earlier, that they're going to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. And of course, it's easy to make general statements. Anyone can make a general statement. But then they highlight four areas. And these four areas were issues that they faced at that moment. And it might be the four areas that they concluded were the reasons why they were having problems. What are the four areas? Well, one of them is uh, parents and arranged marriages. I mean, that was the custom of the time. And we can see there in verse 30 that they promise not to give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. What was the problem with that particular practice? Well, it was taking paganism into the covenant line. I mean, that was the problem that was there. And they're just making a covenant with God. So therefore they would have to deal with aspects that were hindering the ongoing covenant relationship. So there they declare that they will no longer um, do this particular practice. The second one is mentioned there in verse 31. And it's to do with how they kept the Sabbath and the holy days. And of course, Israel had lots of holy days. And I suppose living in a, a booming empire, like the Persian Empire, which was booming, there's no doubt about it. Um, and trade was expanding. And there were just all these new developments coming. And all these foreign people were coming with their goods. And these people there in verse 31, who were now living in Canaan, well, they didn't regard the Sabbath as of any significance, and they didn't regard the holy days, like Passover and so on, as significant. And they saw no reason why they just couldn't sell all their products on these days. And these people said, we're not going to do it anymore. No doubt, there's an element of self-sacrifice here. 
After all, what trade might they lose? But they said, we're not going to do it. Same time, number three, they decided that the seventh year would be honored in Israel. We might find that a very strange thing, but that was their requirement that God had given them. Every seventh year, they were to give the land a rest. It says there in Exodus chapter 23, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Although they weren't, as it were, using the land, in whatever way they were sowing things and gathering harvests, the land itself would produce something. And that product, whatever the land was producing, was to be given to the poor. As I say, we don't have that kind of... Um, practice, but God said do it. So I suppose to obey is better than sacrifice. So here they are, and as they're restarting their kingdom life after the exile, well, if God says every seventh year do this, then we'll do it. And he also said to do something else every seventh year. I don't know what economists would think of this one. But every seventh year, they were to clear all the debts just to people who were in debt for various reasons, normally because they got into trouble of some kind. Perhaps the head of the house had died or something like that. And they, had, they, got, they found themselves dependent and no resources. And God said, every seventh year, just wipe it away. And these people said, well, if God says it, we'll do it. Even if it's going to be costly. And then there's the fourth one, and that is the needs of the temple. And we know from Haggai and people like that, that the temple had not been given any priority. They had been going to start rebuilding it, but after the first couple of months, they had lost enthusiasm, and it had all petered out. And here, from verse 32 to verse 39, they actually specify all the things they're going to do in the house of God. whole range of activities. And they actually list all the activities. They don't omit them. They actually list them. And to us, they all seem so kind of strange because we don't have these sacrifices anymore and things like that. But back then, that was what they did. So they actually listed them. All the things that was done in the house of God were listed in order that they would know what they were signing up to. 
And there's all these sacrifices here in verse 33. And then in verse 34, what about the wood that keeps the altar burning? Because the altar was not meant to stop burning. So somebody had to keep getting wood for it. So they had, they had to arrange for who was going to do that. And then there was all the first fruits, everything that they had. The first fruits belonged to God. And that would be a bit complicated to work it all out. If you've got an apple tree and an orange grove and whatever else you happen to have in your garden, the first fruits of each tree belongs to God. If they've got animals, the first fruit of the flocks belong to God. And they've got to bring all these people to the temple. And there in verse 37, the first fruit of our dough and the fruit of every tree and the wine and the oil and all the tithes. I mean, Israel had loads of tithes. It wasn't just a simple tenth of everything and sort of thrown together. They had to actually isolate things and give a tenth of them to God. So it was careful and demanding, and, and uh, people might say, well, what's the point of all this? But God said it, so they did it. And as they say at the end of verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. So we can see whatever else we can say about them, they certainly knew what they should do. And they signed this covenant uh, to show their dedication. That's all from long ago. What does it say to us today? Well, I've got a few lessons just want to mention. First one is covenant. The church is all about covenant, isn't it? We had the Lord's Supper recently. It's all about covenant. Jesus said that. This is the blood of the new covenant. The covenant is God gives us something, we do something with it. The Lord's Supper, holy ordinance. We read 1 Corinthians 11 at the last time we had it. Didn't read the whole chapter, of course, because reading the whole chapter is quite disturbing. Because it's a covenant meal. And in Corinth they weren't treating it properly. And God judged them. If they did it properly, they would be blessed. But they didn't. And they were being judged. So that aspect of our life is a covenant aspect. God has given us something. We use it 
How do we use it? Baptism. It's a covenant ordinance. When at a baptism, signs of God's blessing. Congregation stands up as covenant partners. Parents take their covenant vows. Very serious. It's not something to be ignored. Fellowship. Think of Ruth. What was part of her covenant commitment? Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Fellowship is a sign we take covenant responsibilities seriously. Preaching. Paul says that after we hear something from God's word, it's either been a fragrance of life unto life or of death unto death. It's a covenant word from the living God. The gospel. What is the gospel? God's arrangement. He says, come, trust in Jesus. Is that all? Come, trust in Jesus and get your sins forgiven. Is that all? Or come trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord and live for him day by day. It's all about covenant, isn't it? We can't escape it. We've got our responsibilities. And God reacts to how we fulfill our responsibilities. And then there's the four things that were highlighted here. There's the whole issue of arranged marriages, the covenant commitment and the family. We might look at this and say, well, Christians shouldn't marry non-Christians. And of course that is true. But that's not the point he's been making. The point he's making is that the family's got to be run on covenant terms. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's important. Because that's how the covenant keeps on going.
worship at God's chosen times. There in Israel, they had their Sabbaths and they had their holy days. And of course, their holy days were times of celebration. The Passover was all about celebration. There's nothing morbid about the Passover. They're there, they're looking back to their past deliverance from Egypt, and they're looking ahead to the arrival of the Messiah. And they're full of celebration. Feast of Tabernacles, the only word to describe it was joy. Great joy. Somebody once said, if somebody has never seen the Feast of Tabernacles, they've never seen joy. All these worship occasions, they were opportunities for God's redeemed creatures to use all their God-given abilities to celebrate in his presence. That's worship. To give God our mind our hearts, our affections, our wills. And these people are going to do that. They also want to ensure that greed and exploitation is removed from their community. And that's the whole point about reinstituting the seventh year. We're not asked to do that for the seventh year. But we have to be very careful about greed and exploitation. And in this community, it shouldn't be seen. It shouldn't happen. And of course, the obvious point about all this details that went into about the temple and they listed all its activities. And they said they wouldn't neglect any of them. And as I, the obvious question that came, at least to my mind when I read this, was do I know everything that goes on in the church? Well, that's the commitment they were making, wasn't it? They would know everything that was going on in the church. In the temple, sorry. And the application to us is, it's so obvious, isn't it? How about personal covenants as we stop? Well, I've never done it. One of you have or not, but I read something that a man called James Boyce said. As he, and I'll close with this, after he had expounded this chapter. And this is what he said. I suggest that you formally covenant to put God first in everything you do. Order your marriage or family according to the Bible standards. Set aside one day in seven to worship 
and serve God in the company of other Christians. Tithe your income for the Lord's work. And do whatever else God puts upon your mind to do for him. And make it a lifetime commitment. Covenant. It's the way God does things. Shall we pray? Lord, it's good for us to see the eagerness that these men and women and children had to make a covenant with you. Lord, we know it's possible for us to be impressed in the issue of a moment and make some kind of dedication and then forget about it. Forgive us, Lord, if we've done that. It's not how you keep your side of the bargain. Help us, Lord, to be serious in our responses to your goodness. To live according to your desires. And even to live up to our own aspirations that may come into our minds at our spiritually best moments. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves to you, our lives, our time, our privileges, our responsibilities, whatever, that we give it to you and that we serve you as your covenant servant. Grant it, Lord, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 98 and sing Psalms, and we'll sing verses 1 to 3. We'll sing a new song to the Lord for wonders he has done. His right hand and his holy arm, the victory have won. Four stanzas. Psalm 98. Oh, sing a new song to Oh. Uh... 
Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.